Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Mark Werner, founder of Nature Sleep and Ghostbed. Mark has a pretty interesting background for his grandfather started the company called Werner Ladders nearly 100 years ago. If you look around, most ladders that we see today are actually Werner Ladders. When Mark's father took over, they actually created the aluminum and fiberglass ladder. So Mark ended up having three neck surgeries. From this, he could never really find a pillow or mattress that worked for his condition. This inspired him to create Nature's Sleep, and when e-commerce became such a big thing, he wanted to join as well. So he created Ghostbed, the D2C model of a mattress in a box. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Mark Werner of Nature Sleep and Ghostbed. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Cameron. Of course. So I'd like to start things out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, I was a product of the 50s. So it was very, very quaint and very nice and small, small town. And um, I was uh, my folks were even though I was born in the United States, my folks were living up in Canada. And my dad was running the Werner Company of Canada at the time. And so I as a young kid, I grew up in Oshawa, Ontario, which is probably best known for the largest General Motors factory, Mm. and spent a lot of cold winters there. And it was very nice. And, you know, when you're a little kid, you go where your parents go. And then um, they, uh, my grandfather decided to sell that business to Reynolds Aluminum, the Canadian part of the Werner Company. And then my <clears throat> parents moved um, to where the corporate headquarters were in a little town in western Pennsylvania called Sharon, Pennsylvania. Mm. And um, then we were there for a number of years. And then um, the Warner Company kept expanding, and today it's been around for over 100 years. But um, my dad invented the uh, aluminum ladder, extension ladder, and the step ladder, and then fiberglass, and the fiberglass step ladder and extension ladder is quite a brilliant uh, metallurgist and polymer scientist. And um, so then we, the family built a new facility, big factory in Chicago. Um, because as many people don't even realize that are younger today, that most of the commerce in the United States was done between New York and Chicago. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. most industrial companies were based in that part of the country and people that were real, um, um, revolutionaries kind of went out West and set up shop out in California and, you know, found out how beautiful California is and, you know, built businesses out there. Mm -hmm. So, um, we end up in, in Chicago and we ended up in a suburb uh, on the north side of Chicago. And I remember asking my mother, you know, why did we end up in this town? And she said, 
Your father and I had to go find a house and we started on the south side of Chicago. We didn't know anything about Chicago and they're kind of smaller town people. And we ended up at the end of the day, we're on the north side. She goes, I was just tired of looking at houses. So I was just like, we'll take anything that's right here. And so that's how I ended up in the northern suburb. And so I grew up there with my siblings, uh, two brothers and a sister and went through school there and then went through uh, college in uh, Illinois and then um, went to work for uh, what is today PricewaterhouseCoopers out of college and um, I uh, have a degree in uh, accounting and uh, economics and statistics and my my grandfather always said to me that you're going to be the financial guy in the family everyone else are, are engineers yeah and he goes even though you're an engineering and operating guy because you need someone in the family to be the financial engineer that really understands how businesses work. Mm-hmm. And when you're, you know, have a degree in accounting and you really and get a CPA, you really understand like a surgeon, you know, how things work. Yeah. And, you know, that way no one can ever bullshit you. For sure. And so I was the designated guy in the family to uh, be the financial guy where everyone else got degrees in engineering, <laughs> like my dad and uncles and brother and cousins and all, all that kind of stuff. And um, I always had an affinity for engineering and building stuff with my hands and inventing things. And I've had that passion from the time I was a little kid through today. Hmm. And uh, so I, uh, having an accounting degree, I took a job with uh, what was Coopers and Libram, which is now Price Waterhouse Coopers uh, in the Chicago office. And um, after one year, my, uh, future wife joined the firm uh, from the University of Illinois and I met her and it was love at first sight and we were <laughs> married instantly uh, you know and that was 41 years ago and that was awesome awesome and um, and then I realized that you know back then it was a it was a fupa to be dating someone in the office that was like a, a career kill yeah and um, So uh, I said, okay, she was very interested in going into taxes and then she got a master's in taxation. She was number one in her class, undergraduate and graduate, very bright Mm. and um, bright and beautiful. It's a fantastic combination. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And um, so I said, well, since you really have this track that you really want to go into taxes and I'm just open-minded to really being involved with manufacturing type businesses, um, why don't I leave so it doesn't create career, you know, risk for either of us. And um, at about that time, I was working on a um, uh, uh, client that was making a bathroom scale. Mm -hmm. And so um, he pulled me aside when I was on in the field work. And he said, you know, I would love to take you to dinner and talk to you. I said, Okay, so we have dinner. He said, Look, um, I would love to hire you and make you my CFO. And I said, that would be great. And I said, but you know, I'm 24. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, and I think I could do it, but the guy that's your CFO now, right now is 55. And, you know, it's like, to me, it's like my grandfather. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel really bad. He goes, it's okay. Um, He said, he told me his dad was, um, had an opportunity to hire someone like me many years ago and, and missed it and um, always regretted it. So he said, I, he always remembered that. He said, you know, you've been a terrific guy and you really engage and you kind of know what's going on, even though you're young. 
And um, so I said, this is perfect. Uh, I said, great, I'm getting married and um, I'll take this new job. So he made me the CFO and I got very involved in the operations. And the name of that company was called Borg Erickson, mm. kind of interesting company in the sense that his grandfather was George W. Borg, who started Borg Warner and invented the automobile clutch and the automobile radio and all kinds of automotive wow. types of things. And he was the only heir grandson, even though he's older than I was, mm-hmm. um, to this business. And he told me that over the years with this uh, bathroom company that his grandfather started, that he inherited, that he's had really smart guys like Harvard guys that ended up, you know, ripping him off. And he had, you know, kind of less smart guys that just screwed up. Yeah. Um, he said, it'd be great to have you. So I said, look, I'll go with you on the condition you understand that I'm destined to be in the ladder business with my family business and I'll help you in this business for four or five years or whatever. And I did that. So what I was actually able to do as I got into that business was I was a guy that actually invented the digital bathroom scale because wow. we just had analog scales. And so I started looking at it. I said, boy, this is just so old fashioned. We should start to go to a digital bathroom scale. And I could bore you with all the details of that, but, um, at first, a digital bathroom scale was just basically a translucent dial, mm-hmm. and it would just do a, a, an AD read, an analog to digital read, and give you LED, with an LED, tell you you weigh 150 pounds. Yeah. And then, so I said, you know, this is good. It gives you kind of a digital display of what is really the analog thing was telling you, but that's really not a digital scale, ultimately. Mm-hmm. So I chased around the world to come up with some technology, and my dad had said to me that if you looked at strain gauge technology, it's something that they use in the military and they use with building big bridges, but it's very expensive. But he said with the, you know, the invention of the microprocessor, he goes, I think you could probably jerry rig it to get it work on a, in a bathroom scale or a scale, Mm -hmm. you know, it is a measuring device uh, at a cost effective thing. So I did that. I went to Europe and I hunted down some opportunities and, Ultimately, I came up with this digital bathroom scale that was using a strain gauge. It was a real weighing, mm. true electronic weighing mechanism. And what that does, it sort of measures the differential on a very hardened piece of steel of a person's weight, reads it electronically into a microprocessor, and then says how much you weigh. Wow. And today, that is the way all bathroom scales are, are done. Um, just a little you know, side note Amazing. there. Yeah, so that was fun. And then I suggested to the uh, the owner, Mr. Borg Erickson, that, um, that I sell his company because I was going to leave and go to my family business. And I didn't want to leave him high and dry. And I said, look, this thing's doing great. We've, you know, sales are up 500% since I'm here and you're profitable. And I said, you don't really want to work. Uh, from what I can tell, he was a big uh, hunter and adventurer. I said, why don't, um, why don't you let me try to sell your business? And I said, I know it's going to come as shock therapy when I tell you now, but go home, talk to your wife and come back tomorrow with a clear head and tell me what you think. The next day, cause I could tell he was very shocked. The next day yeah. he comes back and he hugs me and he, this is a guy who's six, five, two ninety. <laughs> He's a big, big man. Yeah. I mean, I'm six feet, you know, at the time I was probably one fifty. Um, and he hugs me and he's like, Mark, that was just one of the bravest things anyone's ever said to me. And he goes, I talked to my wife, Brenda, and she just thinks it's great. And we're all in what, what I have to do. I said, you don't have to do anything, but I said, it will take probably six months. 
and it, in six months you'll need to sign some papers. And um, so I hired an investment banker in New York and got a lot of looks from really interesting consumer products type companies mm -hmm. and ended up selling it to a Chicago-based company called Dart and Craft, um, which was Dart, which became Tupperware and Kraft, which is Kraft Foods. Wow. And they were merged together at the time and they were based up in the northern suburbs. And they put it into their, and then they owned some exercise equipment companies. And one of them, which we ended up co-founding was called Precore. Precore just got bought by Peloton, you know, a couple months ago. Mm. And that, this goes back, you know, almost 40 years already. Yeah. And because um, a lot of the exercise equipment were just old metal vendors that were just looking to make different products, bending metal in the Midwest. And you're from Indiana, so you can appreciate, you know, kind of that type of products that come out of that part of the country. For sure. So um, it was then put into the West Bend subsidiary, um, which is pots and pans, as I describe it, the stuff in the back of your mother's cupboard, um, just some old pots and pans and popcorn makers and irons and things like that. So I ran that um, for a while and I told those guys I'll be leaving after a year, year and a half. And I had promised them I would completely redesign the, the aesthetics of the line, mm -hmm. of the mattress line. So I did all that, delivered it. Um, we had pretty good distribution and then had a nice handoff and then I joined uh, the Warner company okay. and then I spent uh, there and I went there and we did quite a, quite a bit of expansion at the Warner company and uh, we had 42 facilities across the United States. We were in 83 countries. We were the market leader in what we call climbing products. We also were very big in aluminum extrusion. So we made everything from, uh, windows and uh, the skin of buildings and just all kinds of things, sailboat masks, just heat sinks that go into every automotive um, alternator and radio and computers, all, all kinds of businesses. We were in the oil and gas business, trucking business, the printing business, a lot of different businesses. Amazing. I loved it. I loved being in the factories. I loved all the kind of stuff we were doing. We developed a lot of new products. Um, I helped the company make a lot of acquisitions to help grow us uh, um, or, or organically and non-organically and vertically and horizontally, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I learned a ton from working in that business and with working with a lot of great people and with my family and just the, the discipline. And, you know, the, the, the concept was always um, just quality and high quality, low cost, repetition. And as my grandfather would always say that um, you, um, you, you kind of, are, your success is measured over the long term and profits yeah. follow quality. And um, if you kind of do the right thing, you will be rewarded. You might not be rewarded that week or that month, but over time you will be. Mm -hmm. So make a high quality product and people will appreciate that and um, it will enhance your, your business. So th these were, you know, kind of things that I learned all through the years and, and having grown up in that business from the time I was a, infant. Yeah. I was in the factories and doing all kinds of things and working in the factory. Um, that this was the culture of my family of inventing products, quality products, um, and delivering a good quality product to a customer. And as I then um, exited the water company, we had a transaction, we hired Goldman Sachs, and we sold the business. And then I uh, retired from that. And then I, I, uh, Putzed around and did a few other things. I uh, co-founded a software company in Seattle mm -hmm. and um, ended up selling that to uh, Microsoft. 
Wow. And I um, was involved with a couple other different investments like that where I had some kind of an active role. Um, but I really then kind of started um, what, what became Nature Sleep. Uh, we called it Warner Media Partners. So I really wanted to recreate a family business because I love family business. I came from family business. And the great thing about a family business is um, some people think it's negative, but I, I really like it. It says it, it's a real binder to keep families together. And as they get bigger, it's even better. Um, you know, so as your kids get older and then they get married and have kids, it's just a way of just keeping everyone together and having kind of a common type of a magnetic force. Mm -hmm. And also I, I like, cause at the Werner company, all of our employees, and we had thousands and thousands of employees, um, were all really part of the family and they were multi-generational. So we had people that were three and four generations working for us that were just like part of our family. And what, you know, what I always noticed was that when your aunt and uncle and cousins work at a company, you have more respect for that business. Yeah. And like, you know, at home, when you're in your mother's living room, you, if you put your feet up on the coffee table, she probably says, you know, Cameron, get your, get your damn feet off the coffee table. Yeah. Um, right. For sure. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, when you're in a family business and you treat everyone well, they, they kind of look out for the business and, you know, it's just a good thing. We're all kind of, helping each other. And if someone has a challenge, you know, you help that person and, you know, you visit them in the hospital or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, anyway, I wanted to recreate that. And so we, we started this business, my wife and I, and, um, we started when we were still in Chicago and then we moved it to Florida, uh, about five plus years later. And I have, I've had three major neck surgeries. I was an athlete and a runner and just wore out my disc. Mm. So um, I could never really find a pillow or mattress that really kind of worked for me. Yeah. And it was also just because I was had a bad neck and bad back. So, you know, not sure if anything would have worked. And ultimately, I, I solved the problem by making my own. But um, And I, I got exposed to memory foam and Tempur-Pedic was one of the first to be in the marketplace with this memory foam block of cheese. You were much younger, Cameron, so you wouldn't really remember this, <laughs> but it was kind of a novel thing. And from all my work with fiberglass, fiberglass is really just a polymer mm -hmm. and memory foam is polymer. And so fiberglass is what we call a structural polymer, something that's strong that you can make into a ladder and climb up 30 feet or so to a roof. Mm -hmm. And a mattress is a comfort polymer that, um, you can lay on and be comfortable. So um, I had a, a very close, you know, kind of association there. So I wanted to kind of play around with the polymers. And I had a huge background because I was my dad's lab assistant when he was developing all this stuff. Mm. When I was a kid, I did all my science fair projects with uh, fiberglass and polymers and stuff. Yeah, I loved it. And I worked in the factory and my had my arms up to my elbows and polymer, you know, liquid <laughs> resin and things like that. Yeah. And so I was very familiar with that in the lab. So I just wanted to kind of develop my own stuff. And I thought this was a great material memory foam. And when I looked at the mattress space, it really looked a lot like the ladder business to me because the ladder business, we went from wood to aluminum to fiberglass. Um, so we have different materials, but it still functions as, you know, painting a wall or getting up five or six feet to, hang a picture or something like that. The functionality is the same. Yeah. And in the mattress business, it's gone from over the last 200 years from horsehair to springs to now specialty foams, memory foams and latexes and things like that. Mm -hmm. 
but functionally people still are sleeping on a mattress. Yeah. Um, this, the technology has changed it. So, and they're both big bulky items that are always a, a hassle moving through the supply chain and distribution. Mm-hmm. So, um, I kind of got into that and said, okay, let me just focus on memory foam, mattresses, pillows, and toppers. And um, that will be um, what we do. And we called it uh, Nature Sleep. And that's how we kind of got started. And then we kind of built from there and we were focused on the wholesale distribution. And then we vacuum packed the mattress. So this goes back, uh, I guess, 20 years ago. And that was just for a logistics thing. And um, I know some people that got into this bed in the box space in the last five, six years take claim for that, but that's really not true whatsoever. It was around quite a long time ago and we were, we were early in that. And we did it just from a logistics standpoint because, um, it was just easier to transport. Yeah. And when I first showed it to some merchants, they kind of papooed it saying you're devaluing a King mattress. How can a King mattress come in this small box? People won't think it's worth anything. Yeah. And I'm like, look, this is just a logistics thing. It's just, you know, close your eyes and just open them when it's opened up and, you know, just kind of do that. But they couldn't see that, yeah. you know, and change is always hard for people. And so that was a lot of missionary work to kind of get past that. For sure. And also in, in the mattress business, unlike the ladder business, the mattress business is a build to order business. That's how a lot of furniture is. Mm-hmm where you go shopping this weekend to a mattress store and you pick out this brand and then that retailer sends the order to the factory who then builds it, delivers it to the retailer the following week and then the retailer brings it to your house. And that's the cycle and no one really keeps finished inventory. Yeah. I looked at that model and I said, you know, this is an opportunity to change it and let's make a, you know, build to inventory model so we could have all our different mattress and pillow items already in the box, strategically located in warehouses across the country, so we could quickly ship to anybody in 24 hours. That makes more sense. So it was kind of changing a model, and that's kind of what I saw happening. That's yeah. That and, I would like to like ask here. Um, so at the start, logistically, were you shipping these in the boxes to showrooms? You weren't. Yes. You weren't D to C. Yeah. You weren't D to C at this time yet. Correct. No. No. Okay. A few years later, I did with the Nature Sleep brand. Yeah. But for the most part, I was shipping it to wholesale, what we call dealers. Okay. Or their warehouse. Amazing. Yeah. So at this time, at launch with Nature Sleep, what variety of mattresses did you offer? Was it one classic mattress at start or what was that? Um, I think we came out with three or four models at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then obviously there's sizes from Twin, Twin XL, Full Queen, King, Cal King. Um, and then we had kind of a good, better, best approach. So they went sort of in, in the memory foam world. We were, we kind of quoted things back then in thicknesses. So eight inch, 10 inch thick, 12 inch, 13 inch, et cetera. And, um, it was a little bit more simpler and that was kind of your, your options and that had slightly different feels for the different thicknesses mm-hmm. and different, uh, value propositions. And that was kind of what we were offering. And then some of the online, not really online, but Amazon was around, but it was very early for them. But people like Sam's.com and Macy's and those kinds of people just started to offer some things on websites. So then we started doing some drop shipping for people like that. Okay. And um, it was early though. I mean, yeah. very few people were really comfortable buying a mattress online. They might buy the topper or the pillow or something like that, but the mattress was more of a leap of faith. 
So it, it took some time for that to happen. And then as we built out our wholesale chops, um, which was calling on people that I, for the most part, other than furniture and mattress stores, which was new to me from the ladder business and the scale business, yeah. big box was my forte, the Costco's and the Home Depot's and those kind of uh, customers, mm -hmm. um, and, and understanding their their needs because they, they eat large and they have a lot of requirements and going through their manuals are hundreds if not thousands of pages of requirements of how you have to label things and and, and behave to to operate and do business with them because their system is driven off of that type of requirement yeah so um so we were kind of good at that and then i saw as i tried to put nature sleep kind of online that um it was causing conflict with our dealers where they would see it online and some of the people online were just trying to working from their mother's kitchen and they were just trying to make, you know, a dollar over cost and they were just having a very low price. And someone in a retail store who's trying to do a whole sales pitch for a customer um, was at a higher price. So they would get upset. So I realized, you know, we needed kind of a multiple brand strategy. Mm -hmm. And um, today, you know, it's called DTC direct to consumer yeah. online. We just called it um, at the time. We just called it um, e-commerce and, you know, online selling kind of a thing for sure. Um, the, the names changed over time. And um, so we then um, I developed the GhostFed, the original GhostFed model in um, I think about 2007. And I knew I needed to have a particular feel that was durable and that the majority of the people would like if I was going to sell it online direct to the consumer. Yeah. And so I designed that and I still had, you know, I still had saved my, my drawings and my builds and all my testing and my analysis. And then um, I came up with the name of, of a long time ago, but um, I think my head of sales, I was just going over some names with him. I think it was around 2009, maybe 2010. And I was just telling him the story of how I, as a little kid, I was afraid of ghosts under my bed mm. and um, we had a little sailboat when I was a kid. I mean, really little, you know, yeah. 14 feet little, <laughs> um, you know, to us it was a sailboat, but, um, and, um, and we called it the ghost and my, my mother tried to do some things just to kind of, you know, get that little fear out of me. Um, and I don't even mind mentioning being in the ladder business and the largest ladder company in the world. I was always afraid of, of heights as well. Mm. So, you know, I had a couple of phobias um, and I'm not afraid of ghosts anymore really under my bed, but I still don't really like height, like on balconies and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, so um, Alan said, well, ghost bed would be a great name. That'd be a fun name. And so that we just said, okay, so that, that will be the name um, for this brand. And um, and then we didn't really launch it um, for various reasons. Uh, we had something we were doing in South America. I had a son who got very ill. Um, and then so we actually launched GhostBed in um, 2015 mm -hmm. at the end of the year. And it's been a, a rocket ship ever since that launch. And, you know, we, we always felt that e-commerce would work even with uh, mattresses, bigger ticket and big bulky item that most people were kind of trained to kind of got to go try it out, that they would get past that. And, yeah. you know, by having the 101 night sleep trial, that helps kind of offset that kind of a risk. And, um, but as e-commerce just got further adopted, like you can see, 
at Amazon. Uh, Mr. Bezos started with the books because he, you know, evaluated a bunch of different products and what would be the easiest thing to kind of test out e-commerce would be a book mm-hmm. that ultimately became a digital book. But, you know, at the time it was a small thing. It was easy to ship, easy to inventory, easy to track, um, easy to have reviews, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so that was, you know, an important type of a thing for that. And so we knew we would get there. Uh, we'd just take a bunch of time. And so fast forward, we, we get Ghostbed going and we've got Ghostbed and Nature Sleep. And now Ghostbed just takes off and becomes a huge brand. Um, and then we start rolling out on an omni-channel basis. So we had been a vendor to Costco for for years and years. Mm-hmm. And um, we sold ladders in the early days. And um, I'd met the founder um, years ago when I was a young guy wow. and uh, he was extremely nice to me and, you know, explained his whole philosophy at the company. And I had a one-on-one with him and um, it was, you know, kind of one of those moments, you know, as a young person and uh, you didn't realize, you know, how important this guy is going to become yeah. and how brilliant um, he is. But uh, I was very appreciative and grateful to that time. A couple hours he spent with me one-on-one. Amazing. So, um, uh, so it was, you know, a, a great exposure. And so we, um, did business with Costco and we've been now rolling out omni-channel besides our direct consumers to take the ghost bed brand that's become so big, um, to other, uh, merchants across the country. So now we're in Home Depot and Lowe's and, uh, Sam's and, um, uh, other uh, Macy's and, um, other, other large, uh, merchants and now further going into uh, um, brick and mortar type mattress and furniture stores. And then we expanded to Canada and Canada has been terrific. So we're in uh, Costco up in Canada besides ghostbed.ca and uh, we're in uh, uh, Hudson Bay, which is a very old retailer up in Canada and a number of uh, additional large retailers in Canada um, that are being, we're being rolled out to. Mm-hmm. And we've developed a lot of additional products, which was always part of our game plan at Ghostbed. You start with one and then you just add to it. Um, don't want to get too confusing for the customer. Don't want to be, uh, you know, a, a, a place with too many um, options because it becomes more difficult for the customer to make a decision. Yeah. So just want to appeal to the different needs of uh, feels and things to address. And we've always addressed uh, one of the things that we knew from day one was that m- the majority of the people in the world sleep hot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a function of what happens when you're sleeping. You lose a pint of fluid at night. That's just from your perspiration because your body's hot. And it's just, you know, when you perspire, it's, it's this, your own internal system of your air conditioner trying to cool down your system. Mm-hmm. And so everything we've done has been um, guided towards hot sleepers and being cool. So the original mattress was designed with latex and certain fabrics to be cool. The next bed we made was what we call the ghost bed Lux, which was the, we call the coolest bed in the world. And it is very cool. We use cooling fabrics that are really cutting edge. And we use something called phase change material on the foam, which pulls away all the heat. Um, and the simplest way I always like to describe that is just think of water and ice. Yeah. You know, you have a, a glass of water and you're at room temperature. It's just water. You put it in the freezer and you take it out. It's just cold ice. You leave it back out and it goes right back to water. 
That's basically phase change. Yeah. It's going from you know, one, one state to another state. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what this type of technology does. It just pulls away that heat from you. And you just want to really sleep temperature neutral. It's not like you need to be in an, um, an ice box yourself. Yeah. You don't need to be 22 degrees. <laughs> and I, I try to explain this to people all the time. It's like when you're a little kid and you get sick, and you you know you say to your mother 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 I'm I'm dying here I'm just burning up I'm dying and she takes your temperature and she's like okay you know it's 99.8 that's one degree above normal and you know you're not dying you you've got a cold or a fever or whatever it it will pass yeah. so it's really just that one one and a half degrees that really affects people so all you really need to do is engineer how to deal with those couple degrees not try to turn the room into, you know, a refrigerated, you know, meat locker. For sure. Um, you know, it's slight, slight misconception. So we're, we're very dialed into this cooling issues and technologies around it. So we designed the ghost pillow. We filed a patent. We were granted the patent for the cooling pillow. Very successful product. And everything we do when we develop the ghost sheets, rather than coming out with 20 kinds of sheets, we try to make just the greatest product that the most amount of people will love that's very high quality at an affordable price. It doesn't mean it's free, but it's an affordable price for what it is. So with the ghost sheets, um, what we did was we took a a natural material called tensile, which is uh, the patent is owned by an Austrian company, Mm -hmm. Lensing, and it's basically eucalyptus trees that's processed. And we took that and we then combined it with Sapima cotton, which is grown in California. And we, mesh them together, which had really never been done. And then it's just such a cool, crisp sheet sheet that people just absolutely love. I love, I love sleeping on them every night. Every morning I wake up, my wife and I look at each other. We say, these are the nicest sheets in the world. We've been saying this for, since we came out with them, whatever, three plus years ago. And what I also did was I put a very thick elastic band around the fitted sheet. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how much you know about sheets, so you can just play along with me for sport, but, Mm -hmm. um, the problem with fitted sheets and mattress protectors is they always seem to pop off your mattress and you're always kind of putting them back. Yeah. And um, so with, what I did was by putting this inch and a half strong elastic band around the entire perimeter of the fitted sheet, it never pops off. It makes a lot of people really happy. And until they have it, they, they just, they're always unhappy. And once they have it, they love it and swear by it. Yeah. So we put that on our sheets and we also put it for the mattress protector which a lot of people buy to protect their mattress from any bodily fluids or coffee or animals peeing on the bed or, you know, to protect their investment because a mattress is a more expensive, durable good. Mm-hmm. And you want to, you know, kind of protect your, your investment you have in that. For sure. So um, we came out with great sheets, a great protector. So it doesn't take away the heat properties. We then come out with some more mattresses. We came out with our adjustable power bases are very popular. And they've become more popular. And a lot of people think they're like for just hospitals for older people. Yeah. Not true at all. I mean, it's the ultimate, you know, comfort uh, type of food there is. And it, the head goes up, the legs go up. It's got massage. It's got the coolest remote. It's got a flashlight in the remote. It's got USB ports on both sides of it. It's got uh, LED lights underneath it. So you kick it on. So at night when you have to go pee, you don't have to stub your toe or trip or wake up anybody. And what we did was we took this big, heavy object, we re-engineered it, and 
put it into a box that's clamshell so FedEx could deliver it, mm-hmm. which really changed the dynamics. Mm. And I'm literally in the midst of a one plus year um, engineering project of mine of re-engineering that product that we'll be introducing this summer. And we came out with kind of the Rolls Royce of adjustable. So it's got all the features. It just misses the cost. It's not going to you know, break the bank on the cost yeah. and it's going to last forever, lifetime warranty on it. And it's just fantastic. And people just love it. It's fantastic if you have any back problems, if you have any snoring issues, breathing issues, um, any types of problems. It's just such a fantastic thing. And I, I think it's a sizable um, addressable market now. It's probably a three, three and a half billion dollar market just for adjustables in the United States. My guess is as more people um, learn about the benefits of it and um, as the prices have come down, um, I think the sales will probably double or triple over the next uh, three to five years. So that's mm-hmm. could be a you know eight or ten billion dollar addressable market just for adjustables. Yeah, mattress adjustables and uh, topper pillow market in the United States is about a thirty-five million dollar billion dollar TAM total yeah. addressable market. So it's a it's a sizable market for sure. So I, I think this is a very good thing. We've got a very winning product. We um, we lean into split king adjustables where each person, there's two mattresses rather than one king mattress. Mm -hmm. So you can have individuality for the two partners. Say I want to be watching TV. My wife wants to be sleeping or she's a stomach sleeper. I'm a back sleeper, just all kinds of things. I've had these three neck surgeries. So I want to prop up my leg a little bit to take the pressure off the lower back. Mm -hmm. Um, Just all kinds of fantastic things, but the individuality is fantastic. And so we lean into that a lot. We've had tremendous success with that. Amazing. Uh, And that's been really a great thing for us. And then um, originally I designed what I call it um, and, and trademark KD foundation. So I took the box spring, that big bulky thing. So a queen box spring is 60 inches by 80 inches, mm-hmm. usually by eight or 10 inches height. And that's a big bulky, no value item for everyone in the food chain. And so I, I, re- I designed it and I made it out of wood and cause I had a lot of experience with wood and I, built the demo in my garage originally. And then for 15 years, I've been selling this KD foundation. So it comes in a long box, 80 inches by 10 inches by 10 inches. So you could FedEx it, UPS it and get it to the customer. And then they put it together pretty simply like Lincoln logs. Yeah. The only challenge is that because it's um, the wood, you actually see the wood. And at first I used Canadian spruce, and then I switched to southern yellow pine, very similar types of woods, is even though you use really, really clear wood, sometimes you get a few knots in them that it's really no big deal, because if you ever saw you, the underneath of your sofa or a chair, you would see the ugliest wood, but it's all upholstered, so you never see it. Yeah. Um, so you don't even have a reason to object to it. And um, uh, then with wood, it's a natural product, so humidity is going to affect it. So if you are in a a very dry area, it's going to bow. If you're in a very humid area, it's going to bow or just move a little bit. So it makes it a little bit more difficult when you're putting the slats in mm-hmm. and it upsets people. And I don't like to upset people. So I look at everything in our business and I look at any pain point and I try to say, how can I re-engineer this pain point to take away that pain point so the customer's happy 100% of the time? Because until everyone's 100% happy, I'm not happy. Yeah. So I said, you know, I, I got to change this whole thing and I got to make it even smaller and offer more benefits. Because when you buy a box spring, usually you have to buy like a metal frame that goes underneath it. Yeah. Extra cost. They're bulky. A lot of times you cut your fingers on them. No good. 
So I said, just redo this whole thing, Mark. So I invented a new, what I call the, it's on our website, the all-in-one foundation, all made out of metal. So there's no warping. There's no uh, unattractiveness. Um, it comes with um, legs in it. So you don't have to buy a metal frame and the legs are six inches and they're two threes. So you can adjust the height if you want, or you can get an extra one to make it even uh, higher. So if you want more storage under your bed, hmm. it, I designed a headboard bracket that again, might not mean anything to you, Cameron, at your stage in life, but a lot of people have headboards. Yeah. And the problem with a lot of headboards is you can't connect them because they're all designed differently. Yeah. Completely differently. So I designed a headboard bracket that has mobility vertically, horizontally, um, laterally, et cetera, with all kinds of holes and slots. So 95% of all the headboards out there will fit with my, um, this all-in-one uh, foundation. Mm. And it comes with it. And then it comes in a box that's now, instead of 80 inches, 40 inches. I cut it in half. So it's 40 inches by 10 inches. So you could literally buy a cake size foundation in one box and put it in your front seat of a convertible and take it home from a store. Of course, I can FedEx it and UPS it to you just as easily, but yeah. from a retail experience, and if you've ever gone to a store and seen people try to take a foundation box spring out of a Sam's Costco <laughs> retail store on the roof, flying mess. off the roof, <laughs> renting a truck, husband and wife fighting with each other, boyfriend and girlfriend <laughs> fighting with each other, you know, it's just not a good experience. Yeah. So we, we completely eliminated that problem and came out with this new product. Just love it. And, and I can get 16 of these babies on a skid. So it used to take up three bays at a Costco to put, uh, you know, eight different uh, king or excuse me, a queen box springs. Now you just need the skid 40 by 48, boom, and you're in business. Wow. So that's been a tremendous new product. So that's the kind of things we try to do is really reinvent really sleepy types of things. Like, you know, no one's changed the box spring in 200 years. And, you know, it's a non-value thing. It's just kind of a pain in the butt. And we re-engineered it. Fantastic product. I just love the reviews. I mean, I just see one after the other. People are so happy. We made a great cover with it. So it looks a very upholstered, has a very sleek look. It's beautiful. I saw Again, it. Again, on our... If you look on our website, you can kind of see it. it it's really a phenomenal product. Mm -hmm. It's a great price. You know, if you have to buy all those components in another version, it's probably two or three X what you're going to spend with us. With us, it's, a, you know, net to you. It's a couple hundred dollars. It's just a fantastic pr quality, price, look, durability. Very proud of that product. Uh, it's been a, a really fantastic product since we introduced it. Amazing. What I really look up to with your work, and it's, it's so mind blowing, is the innovation at the forefront um, with both Werner Ladders and your family from the start and your companies that you have founded as well. I was wondering, how has the importance of innovation taught you or what has it taught you as you progress with all of your brands that you've created? The importance of well, innovation. Innovation is critical because I always try to tell people that new products is the bloodline of any business. Mm -hmm. And you've got to figure that every year you've got to develop new products and that should represent 20% of your revenues. So in five years, you've completely recycled your product line. Not to say you're not selling a product that you made seven years ago. You're just going to keep growing. But you've got to constantly come out with new products and, and improve on your existing products and just to keep growing and keep making customers happy. And that's what it's all about. Innovation is critical. Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me, like, I... I wasn't a digital marketing guy. Like most of the people that got in the bed in the box space and you can see a lot of the names out there. I'm not going to mention them. Yeah. Um, and I know most of the guys and they're all decent guys. 
um, they were mostly marketing guys. They knew digital marketing. They knew Facebook. And I'm older. You know, that was foreign to me. Yeah. And that wasn't, you know, an expertise that I possessed. I had to learn that. What I was was a mattress guy, a products guy, a supply chain guy, an inventor guy. Okay. So I could make you a great mattress. I just didn't know how to shout loud enough over a megaphone to let the world know. Yeah. So that's taken me more time to kind of perfect that. Now we've kind of got a good handle on that kind of stuff. And we have in-house marketing team of different experts and, you know, really good, uh, fine folks. And so we're kind of getting the word out and the brand continues to build, but I always thought product was so important and going back to the innovation, it's, it's just critical. You've got to have people at your business. If that's your core business, I mean, I sometimes I watch Shark Tank and they, you know, some guys starting some kind of software company and then, you know, Mark uh, Cuban will say, well, are you a programmer? Well, no, I'm, I'll hire him. And Cuban will say, what do you mean you'll hire? If, if you're starting a business and you're a software business, you better damn well be the programmer guy. Yeah. Okay. So you know what you're doing. You can't hire that out. You know, when you get bigger, you can hire more guys, but you got to know it. Okay. Like at Facebook, Zuckerberg's a programmer. You know, he's the yeah. guy that coded all that stuff and had coding contests. He knows that stuff. He can now become a multi-billion dollar company and run it with lots of people, but he knows what's going on under the hood. For sure. I know what's happening in my space. You know, I'm an expert on this stuff mm -hmm. and I surround myself with experts on it. You know, it's other things I had to learn. Like I'm sure Zuckerberg got to learn accounting. I'm, although he's so smart, he probably knows all this stuff, but <laughs> you know, he would have to get, you know, accounting knowledge and that kind of knowledge. Uh, on top of the, the coding kind of thing. So I think it's just so important. If you're, you know, the owner operator of, of a business, you've got to be an expert in in what you're doing mm -hmm. and, and, you know, look to hire, you know, people to help you in the other functional silo components of a business. Absolutely. Well, Mark, I like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret? Just anything. I, I think it's very, very important to be a great listener mm -hmm. and, um, and understand that um, no one has a monopoly on brains and you, you just got to be a very good listener. And, you know, often you should try to be the, the last one that talks um, for an entrepreneur, absorb what the room is saying, absorb what the customer is saying, absorb what the competitors are saying, your people are saying, and just be a, a good listener and try to take that into consideration. Um, and you, you've got to really know your space. You, you know, like I was saying on the innovation, you've got to really know how to develop products for what your business is. If you think you can just outsource that, you're, you're fooling yourself Yeah. because you'll never develop the loyalty you need. And there's the next product. So the, so your first product might be okay, but in two years you need more products. And if you don't know how to do it, you're just going to get hoodwinked in the future. So focus on what you know. And if you don't know it, go learn it. And just study the hell out of it and spend endless time if you're serious about it. If you just want to play the role, that's different. Then you're an actor. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out GhostBed at GhostBed.com. Thank you so much for your time today, Cameron. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.